Happy New Year! Let's all visit the ER! This week, we want to share an experience that our co-host, Becky Mosser RBT, recently had at a veterinary ER clinic and some of the lessons that she learned and how you can apply it to your practice today. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And 2023 is going to be probably full of a lot of tough topics. And this week, we're going to kick it off with a visit to the ER and how things have changed. But before we talk about change, as always, I am one of your co-hosts who hasn't changed, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, it is the new year. Happy new year. Happy New Year. Do you do you feel different? Um, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> it just feels like more of the same. And I'm, I guess I'm, I guess, you know, I, I'm kind of gun shy if I can use that terminology, guys. Sorry. But, you know, it's like I thought last year was going to be great blue skies, unicorns, rainbows, and it kind of fizzled around a little bit. And so now I'm like going, I don't want to get my hopes up too much for this year. How about you? Yeah, I think everybody's feeling a little apprehensive. Right. I was I was trying to I've never been much of a like new year, new me, revolution and kind of person cuz I'm like I mean, I just went to bed. Nothing nothing should be that different. But I do think it is a time for new beginnings and and reflection and all of that kind of stuff. Um, And and we've done a lot of that this year in general, I think. Um, Things are changing. This is going to be an interesting year. I I really think we've seen a lot of... dust kick up over 2022 in a lot of different ways, uh, utilization in our profession, shortages in our profession, and, you know, um, just, just the economy and, and life changing a lot over the last couple of years. So I think, I think we've got some things up and coming this year that hopefully will start a new trajectory of our normal and, and kind of hopefully the dust settles a little. Well, and and one other thing, too, Becky, I want to share with the viewfinders is the fact that because there's been such huge investments in veterinary medicine from outside forces, we've talked about this for six years, I've talked about it for 30 years, you know, there's a lot of money from outside sources now in our profession. And I will tell you, this year will be the beginning of profit taking. And so I think that that also is going to drive some of the change that we're going to be talking about, but most importantly around inflation of fees, because I'm telling you a lot of these investment houses that now own vet clinics all around the world are starting to say, Hey, where's our money? And I think Becky, that's going to start to add to some changes. I'm really kind of curious to see how 2023 shakes out from a variety of fronts, but I think petflation, vetflation is going to be a big issue. But I don't want to get into that because we've talked about that, but tell us a little bit about what happened to you. How did you spend your New Year's Day 2023? It sounds like a party. (laughs) I'm embarrassed. I am embarrassed. I am super embarrassed to even say this because again, I've been very transparent that I am a very, very clienty client, despite my veterinary (laughs) background. I do all the client things. And sure enough, to to add to my client bingo card, uh, 2023 <laughs> kicked off with a vomiting dog. And I want to be clear. She was not vomiting. She was regurging. And, like, I care a lot more about regurge than I do vomit. Like, 
when you're just sitting there in a belly full of water comes shooting out of your mouth with no warning, right. I am instantly like, okay, well, we're blocked and I'm, I, yeah, we yeah. have to do something. Um, so I have to say, I don't feel like I overreacted. I, I gave her as many opportunities to stop vomiting as I was willing to, but a regurging dog is a different story. And she was not able to hold anything down, including water. Um, regurge style so off we went to the er and i was mortified to be pulling into the er with a vomiting dog on new year's day on a holiday in general <laughs> like right with the answer when they ask me could she have gotten anything uh probably is she having diarrhea not sure we have a fenced in yard and has she eaten anything she shouldn't and i would have to explain that our traditional New Year's Eve surf and turf may or may not have been shared with our dogs. So (laughs) I was sitting there living the dream (laughs) at a packed ER on New Year's Day. Right. And let's start right there because it's a packed ER on New Year's Day. Now, Becky, you and I have been in this profession for some time. Was it more packed than normal? I mean, or was this uh, what you expected or or explain, you know, what, what did it look like in that lobby? It was what I expected. I've actually um, done relief shifts at this exact ERs under new management from then from when I worked there. I do want to say that is different ownership from when I worked there, but I have worked at this ER before. I've worked holidays. I've probably worked New Year's Day. I know I worked New Year's Eve. Um, so it looked pretty typical. It's actually pretty um, calm from a lobby perspective. But um, so like, I guess I'm more used to the chaos of the back. I don't spend a lot of time in the lobby, but there was people everywhere. And what I guess I noticed the most was there were a lot more people than pets and a lot of people who felt uninformed. It was like one of the the most, I don't know, I guess what I want to say is I heard a lot of people asking for updates and having not, you know, even talked to the doctor at that point, their pet was in the back. They didn't know if any of the tests had been done. Um, I have to say that they felt really uninformed from what I saw. And I have to say, the other thing is, is, and I've been saying this for a minute, our, our pet population, our pet parent population is becoming more and more independently informed. They're doing their research. They know the things. And so I felt like I had I, I, I felt like I was able to experience and see a lot of pet parents who were concerned and had their own information, who really wanted to have more information um, and were kind of feeling maybe a little in the dark. I was a little surprised by that. Wow. And, and you know, again, we, we've discussed this, I mean, both you and I independently and on the podcast. Right now, your clients have an instant second opinion in their pocket. And so if they're waiting in that lobby and that packed emergency room and they're not getting updates from the veterinary staff, they are seeking it on Dr. Google and they're, and that can lead to confusion, right? I mean, that can, that can make things really, I I think it can escalate already, you know, someone who's anxious because now they're looking and their dog is, has regurgitation. They're saying, oh my gosh, she's got myasthenia gravis, (laughs) right? You know? Yeah. Oh, right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) We always go to the, I mean, I have literally had my own personal veterinarian look at me and say, Becky, stop giving your dogs cancer. Like stop coming in here and, and listing crazy cancers that you're sure your dog has. And I think that's what a lot of people are probably doing. You're right. They're Googling, but they're there in the first place. They know something's wrong. I, I, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with a lot of the emergencies that came in. I did listen to a couple of stat triages. It's interesting because they were chronic conditions that had um, become kind of dire uh, over whatever amount of time, right? I'm not going to judge or get too involved, but they were chronic conditions that were being dealt with. Throughout the time I was sitting there, I didn't feel like I was dealing that, that at any point I saw anything that was that I would consider a true stat triage emergency. 
Um, and I thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> right. And I think that's one of the hangovers or legacies of, of COVID. I think, you know, quite frankly, Becky, is that a lot of people maybe didn't establish a relationship with the vet or they've fallen out with their vet, you know, not, not in a negative way, just they don't go as much or whatever. And so now the uh, urgent care ER model is sort of their primary touch point, right? So now it's a cath that they've been managing on for whether it's diabetic or chronic kidney or heart or whatever. And suddenly now it's, you know, oh, what do I do? Oh, well, we'll just take them down to the ER instead of, you know, like waiting till the second when their regular vet was open. I don't know, Becky. I mean, I think that the other thing can compounding this issue is the fact that they can't get in with the regular vet on January well, that's 2nd. Great. You know, right? I, I think that's it. So it's interesting because like in Wilmington, as you know, we have a veterinary clinic on every single corner. I mean, there are so many veterinarians and like long gone are the days, I think for most areas where you live in proximity to a local veterinarian and right. that's the veterinarian you see. I mean, I will drive my dogs as far as I need to go to go to a good veterinarian. I will continue to change vets until I find one I feel comfortable with. Um, we treat them a lot more like that pediatric thing, right? Right. And so the the quote unquote loyalty, like you said, is not there. So like if somebody tried to get an appointment during COVID and they were turned away, a lot of people maybe didn't even know about the ER option before COVID. I, I know when I worked a lot of ER shifts, people like, I didn't even know there was an ER hospital for pets. Where are you? How do I get there? All that stuff, Right. I was, I will say this, most of the veterinarians in the, in town were actually closed on Monday the 2nd because I did look to see if I could wait throughout the afternoon and get to my vet first thing in the morning on Monday and they were going to be closed for the holiday on Monday, which I was very proud of them. Shout out to River Road and their personal care and your time. I'm so proud of you, but I needed you. And I was so, I knew I wasn't going to be able to get to the vet on Monday. And I think that may have perpetuated some of this as well. Um, is folks, and we remember we did the podcast. We told everybody, know when your vet was going to be open or not. So I knew my vet was right. going to be open. <laughs> I took my own advice. I knew they weren't going to be there. And so I chose to not sit around and worry. I was like, all right, well, let's just go and do the thing. And so like you said, I think that's what a lot of folks are doing at this point is saying, okay, there's alternatives. It isn't a generation where we have our vet's cell phone number in our pockets and we call him and he, you know, stops milking the cows and comes out and helps the farm animals. We don't do that anymore. I think more and more people are getting comfortable and understanding that the ER is the option. And I think the good news is more and more people are mentally and financially prepared for these types of visits. Yeah, that's a good point. Although being a veterinarian uh, at a time when people did have my personal cell phone, I got a lot of phone calls during the holiday. And, you know, Becky, yeah. it was the exact scenario that you described where they were saying, okay, look, my vet is closed. And these were extended closings. So a lot of, at least, I got about four phone calls and text messages and and a couple of Facebook DMs, which I try to ignore as much as possible. But these were people that Laura said, you have to contact them. You have to answer. <laughs> but um, the, re the reality is like the vets were closed like from Friday till yeah. like Monday. They were, you know, they're, they're the whole holiday, like, you know, four right. or five days, which, you know, back in my time for good and for bad, whatever we, that, you know, we just didn't do it that way. And, and of course I, I applaud them like you, Becky, but you know, it's like, wow, it's a lot of burden on, on these people. But regardless, you know, I was surprised at the number of people that were saying, Hey, Dr. Ward, can you help me out? I've got this. And, and look for a lot of them, I was able to give them some basic, you know, advice and some home care and, you know, send them on their merry way, so to speak. 
speak. And uh, you know, I think also this this leads us to one of those things of how how people are more receptive to that. You know, I think back 20 years ago, if I had tried to pass somebody off, even on the phone, Becky, back in the day, they'd be like, yeah. well, I want you to come see my dog, you know? Yeah. Whereas today, they're a lot more willing to accept that I'm going to text you back and try this or that, and that's it, you know? So if again, if you're one of those vet clinics, being able to do some kind of virtual care in these situations, I think is really, really important. But anyway, let's get back to your story. (laughs) So so you're sitting there, you're waiting, you're watching people that, A, you think, man, this probably isn't super primary, you know, emergency, but I get it. You know, you're here, so we'll deal with it. But then you felt like they weren't being updated regularly, right? And so was tension rising in the lobby area? Were people, like, starting to say, hey, excuse me, have you seen – who's who's seen my dog? Is my dog – I mean – any kind of that that stuff. Okay, so it's funny because like when you have the insider information, you kind of know. I was sitting there, and I want to say this: I'm not complaining, you guys. I, I wasn't there. I don't know what the back right, looked right, right. like. I, I know that we tend to see calm in the lobby, and they could have been doing 14 emergency surgeries and CPR right. in the back, right? I don't know. I can tell you, I was never triaged. So I sat there for over an hour, and we were literally never seen or talked to by any nursing staff at all whatsoever. Wait, wait, what? You mean you act- nobody? You, you just you just showed up, sat down, and nobody ever said, hey. So we filled out our paperwork. Like, there's a reception oh at the desk. So, right. So, we gave our name and what was going on. We filled out our paperwork. And um, that was it. So, for an over an hour after that, no one called to triage my pet. As a vet tech, I knew my pet was not in dire straits, right? Right. I wrote that she'd been regurging. But, I, I mean, I felt like regurging was a pretty good trigger word as opposed to vomiting. Um, and I think finding out how long that had been going on would have been really important, right? Like, I think that should have been probably something that we at least got eyes on the, the patient. Again, I don't know how many people were in the back. I don't want to, you know, right? I, I don't know. But it was frustrating for me to know that she was not, I mean, she could have had major gl- low glucose or, you know, um, really low bl- sodium at this point. She'd been vomiting so much so frequently. I just really felt like she should have been seen. On top of that, I never actually saw anyone who came in after me triage. So at no point did I see other than two stat triages were the both the chronic conditions that came in. So it's a little bit frustrated to see two chronic conditions being treated as stat triages that to be fair, probably were not. And that's fine because they get stat triage and then they just end up sitting in the back in a cage. But then you have these people pacing out front with no update and not knowing what's happening. So to that point, most people were being really good, but what I did notice was a real lack of information. So um, I had I saw a couple who wanted an update on their dog, and what they heard from the back was resting comfortably. And I know resting comfortably is a keyword for we're not worried about him right now. Yeah, I don't know. He's right, fine. right. Not very specific information, not very helpful. So they said, well, do you know if they've done his procedure or like it sounded to me almost like a wound repair or something. And she was like, I'm the receptionist. I don't have that information. (laughs) So they were really kind of brushed off and they didn't know at what point. I think people just wanted to establish where they were in the the line. You know, one girl was like, I just should I go get something to eat? And the receptionist like, well, I don't really know. And the vet, well, I guess they'll come call you. And of course, the second she left, they came looking for it, right? Right. So there, there was a lot of chaos around that, in my opinion, that that could have been avoided. And like one gentleman who um, his pet had obviously gotten into something because he said, hey, I called Pet Poison Control. I know my dog has to stay here overnight. Do I have to wait around? And they said, well, you got to talk to the doctor, sign off on the plan, do your deposit. So he's standing there waiting, knowing he's going to leave his dog, knowing that the dog is not coming home with him tonight, wanting the dog to be left there. Right. Um, 
and he was not allowed to leave. He was still there when I left over an hour later and had not been talked to. I think that was the stuff that was causing a lot of frustration. I think all the pets had been seen for the most part by the folks in the lobby. So they were content that their pet was in good hands, but they were feeling really in the dark. Yeah. So, so again, no, no specific complaint. We get it. Everybody's, you know, and we've all been in these situations, at least yeah. if you've, you know, like me and, and Becky, and I'm sure most of our listeners feel the same way. You've been in these situations. You just see the importance of keeping the client, the pet parent informed, just updated. And, and even if it's as simple as going, Hey, you know, Becky, I'm so sorry that you have to wait, but we are getting to you just as quickly as, as we can. We've got, you know, X, Y, Z emergencies. Like, I, honestly, that goes a long way for many people. Oh, I think it goes all the way. So like we were just talking about the surgery I had right at Thanksgiving and it was amazing how updated my husband was. They were sending him text messages telling him what stage I was in from prep to surgery start. Literally got a text message. Surgery has started. Surgery is done. She's in phase one recovery. Um, There was a concierge in the lobby who was greeting people, letting them know where they were in line to be taken back and to how long to expect and to ensure that the phone numbers that they had were updated. Like there was an onslaught of information. You didn't have time to wonder because you were being told. And I'm thinking to myself, this is human health, right? Like we can do this like this. We can, there's no reason people couldn't have felt a little more updated. And frankly, I have worked a lot of nightmare emergency shifts. I mean, I'm talking multiple pets DOA, multiple pets getting CPR at the same time. I will never forget two coming at the same time with heat stroke. They were hunting dogs, CPR on both dogs, just nightmare stuff. And I've never seen a triage go an hour without even being eyes on. Um, Maybe this is the new normal after COVID. Maybe I just don't know because I haven't had to take my pets to the vet. But I have to say the idea that nobody had come to the front and given anyone any information in over an hour was surprising. And then two, I was really feeling empathy for the customer service reps who are kind of the ones sitting there being stared at, being asked the questions, kind of having to say, I'd be upset too. I'm just trying to do my job. I heard both of those things from the CSR. And I was thinking this feels really unnecessary and I felt really bad for them. Right. And, and again, viewfinders, the, the point of this discussion is not to criticize an individual clinic or situation, but to illuminate us all and saying, hey, there are things we could probably do to make it better. And, and you guys probably recall uh, right before uh, Christmas, I wound up in the ER with an eye injury. Uh, and uh, and I know that's that's that that is stat triage, right? I mean, yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, as you got to, and and they were super helpful. But what I what I found remarkable, not only I mean, I get it. You know, you're coming in and you cannot see, so they're going to take care, and you got blood all over the place. So mm. I get that it looked like a you know a bad trauma. Uh, but what was was what I felt so good about was the follow up. They use technology like you're describing. I mean, I. Becky, I was getting texts like every four hours, like, how's it going? You know, what's up? You know, can you see anymore? And, and, uh, and it was just reassuring, right? right? You know, and, and honestly, I, I, you can't do anything by text message, but the fact that I was in the system, I think gave me this level of confidence that, you know, hey, I'm being taken care of, right? And I know that this was an automated program where they go like, ping this guy every four to six hours and just ask if there's any changes in his condition. And and literally all you do is go yes or no. And if it was yes, you're supposed to call a number, which was just the emergency line. But, you, you know, I'm getting back here. Yeah, I mean, it's like you could do this That's, in so many yeah. ways. Leverage technology, people. I mean, it exists and we've got to do a better job. We, I mean, a hundred percent. That's the thing. And I guess when I think to myself, you are the emergency clinic in town. 
Okay. You are the, the one and only in this particular area. Um, we have an urgent care that I will say the urgent care was not open. I double checked because I would rather have taken her to urgent care. Um, and I think that that's what people are looking for now is more of that option. There's a ton of people out there who use urgent care kind of as their regular yeah. health care at this yep. point um, because they can't get appointments and things like that. So I think people are, are are becoming more comfortable and familiar with that as a service. And the more people are utilizing this as a service in the human side, they're going to be looking for that translation of service, that translation of care they the human side is setting their expectations and it did so for me as well you know and and to be fair i was going off of expectations from when i worked there but i also there's there's trends in medicine be it health uh, human health or veterinary health and i i think when those are trends are not being met it's bec- it's becoming more and more noticeable and it's really hard to translate into great patient care if I don't have great communication and see great practices. Yeah. And again, you know, we've seen this trend clearly emerge on the human side, going back to Dr. Kenneth Cooper's, you know, 40 years ago saying, look, there needs to be human medical facilities that are devoted simply to preventive care, to longevity, right? And we're starting now to see that because you're right, Becky, what happened in human medicine, if you kind of follow it, like, you know, uh, and really, it was the generation before us that that benefited the most from having the lifelong relationship with their family physician, right? You had the family doctor, and they were literally the family doctor. You know, they yeah. you were born by them, and they probably might have put some of them in a box. Took your tonsils out, right. fixed your, right. yeah, stitches, broken bones, all the things. Right, so, so they knew your whole history. But then we move into this era of a lot more industrialized medicine or whatever term you want to apply to it, you know, in the HMO era. And suddenly now people don't don't have that relationship. And so you're right. They only go to the doctor when they're sick. Okay. And so I think we're kind of slowly going in that direction, which is a real shame because I do think that we miss out on a huge preventive, you know, and a longevity aspect of medicine. But Becky, if you can't get into your regular vet, you really have few choices other than an ER or an urgent care model. And what you're seeing too, guys, just all around the world, you know, certainly in, in Europe and in the U.S. and Canada, you're seeing these urgent care sort of, you know, intermediate, if you will, clinics. That's where a lot of the action is. A lot of investment is, is going into that area, and it makes a lot of sense. I don't know that it's good for medicine in general, but I get that that's where it's heading. And what will happen on the other side of that is we're going to have emergence of veterans who quote unquote specialize in longevity and disease prevention and healthy living and all that stuff. And, and I think we'll probably follow again, just the example led by, by human medicine. What do you, what do you think about that, Becky? Do you think that somehow this pressure right now maybe leads to more urgent care facilities and then ultimately the family vet becomes something else? Well, I think we're already headed there. And I think part of that is the corporatization, right? Like when we look at yeah. corporate, corporate, are we sure? Easy for me to say, corporatized <laughs> medicine. The heads of those, like there are chief medical officers involved, but then start looking at who else is on the top levels. Who yeah. else has C's yeah. in front of their names, right? And these are going to be human health, human medicine management, um, business management, right. people who have run hospitals. Those are the ones that are are behind a lot of corporatization, a lot of the corporate practices. And so they're going to be bringing that human health model in 
in terms of operations and daily functions and then the profitability of these hospitals. And they're going to do so unapologetically because they aren't the one handing the bill over to the crying 90 year old who, you know, has a cat with DKA and has to make the decision between euthanasia and $4,000 worth of hospitalization. So it's easy for them to do that at the sea level. No matter what we do, that's where we're going and we can fight it as long as we want to, but we're going to see that more and more. And I think, frankly, it's like part of this fighting it, part of the like the, the resentment of clients and the like indignity of yeah, having to right. give this information and, and the indignity that I why should I have to come along on this journey of better inf- information and, and, and pe- parent relationships is going to leave people behind. It is going to create lines in the sand uh, and it is plain old going to be demanded. And so we have continually kind of threatened throughout the years um, that these kind of old school practices are going to become less and less popular and less and less. They, they just are. And it's, it's not going to be uh, an acute overnight change, but I think we're already seeing it. But at the end of the day, it's like, I think for me, it it is a matter of doing our very best and and like double checking why we're so mad about having to do our best. I feel like when I think about internal opera, like I think about even the VA health system, right? The VA health system is one that is criticized nationwide and rightfully so right. from my experience. But when I go with my husband to the doctor and the nurse has a question from another department or wants to know if like phlebotomy can get blood work done on my husband, they send an internal message and they hear right back. And I was thinking to myself, like, surely we could send an internal message to the front desk that says, you know, Fluffy's blood's been taken. Please update the owner. It'll be about 15 minutes for the blood work to run. And then we'll send another update. And I think the CSR had time to handle that. I was just thinking to myself how how minimal a change would have to be how easily we could provide some of these services to create a better experience. And then what do we have to do to make it important to somebody? Because I'm, I'm seeing the people who care on the front side of the hospital and they're the ones with the emotional situation. And then the folks in my experience in the back are in an emotional situation caring for that pet, but, but are almost angry that the the owner is adding to the stress of caring for a pet. And I think this is sort of where we're kind of falling apart with our disconnect. And the more corporatization pushes on us, the, the practice of, of serving the client as well, the more hmm, volatile this relationship is becoming. Yeah. Wow. Viewfinders, just rewind, go back and listen to the last two minutes of Becky's treatise there because uh, you nailed so many important topics. And and again, Viewfinders, one of the reasons why we constantly continue to advocate for getting involved in organized medicine, whether you're a vet tech or a veterinarian, is because of these issues. Because as corporatization and as we start to lose these independently owned clinics these issues become a lot more salient and honestly you know it's going to get easier and easier to lose us in the wash of spreadsheets right because like becky said it's easy when you're sitting up in a penthouse in manhattan or wherever you know uh just to strike a few things here and there where that's that's impacting real people and so if i'm telling you right now guys we are gonna have to band together and in a real meaningful fashion i mean look whether it's 
and, and I know people don't like to, to think about it, you know, but when you look at unionization, when you look at com- coming together and voting in blocks, I mean, Becky, numbers are our power. And we're getting, t- if you are a young veterinary professional today, you need to get involved with an organization. Point. Oh, yeah. Point. I mean, you, if you, the, the unionization thing, you know, we've learned so much from Liz Houston on that. And at the end of the day, I think the further away, the rule makers become from your daily life, the more you need to figure out how to be involved in the conversations. And, yep. and that is that participation, whether it's unionization, whether it's organized medicine, whether it's all of the above, um, because there is no, you know, what I hear when I do lectures out there, people say I'm in corporate medicine. I don't know how to make these changes. Right. I don't know how to right. get to the people to, to do these things that I need to do. And that is the disconnect that we're going to continue to see more and more of. And, and Becky, they stay in that power position when you feel helpless, when you feel powerless, yes. when you feel like you don't know what to do, you can't do anything. So if you're paralyzed by an action because you don't know what to do next, there are people that can help you. So again, long story short, get involved, vote, participate, because that's really going to be the way forward. I, th- I feel strongly about this moving uh, forward. But viewfinders, what do you think from Becky's experience? I want to thank her so much for sharing that uh, candidly, Becky. That was a great, you know, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. Thank you so much for sharing your pain on on New Year's. Yeah, no, thank you to my husband for feeding my dog food <laughs> she shouldn't have um, and, and perpetuating this conversation. Honestly, though, like I, I don't want to sound like I'm coming down hard on those guys. No, no. I no. want to be really, really clear. I did not see what was going on in the back. I know for a fact they were not standing around doing nothing. Sure. I know that they were working within their means, their capacity, as, and their operating procedures. That is 100%. I don't want to sound like I'm coming down on them. Yeah. I just want to say we could do better. It could absolutely have been a better experience. And I think as a whole, we in veterinary medicine need to continue to look at how we can do better, make a better experience, play to the human animal bond um, and, and, and how essential it's going to become as we become more separated from those who are in charge of our daily life. Yeah, it's funny, Viewfinders, my intention for 2023 when I was reflecting back on 2022, uh, and typically, you know, I tend to be bold and audacious, and this year, my intention was better. And and while that may seem like, a, oh, wow, that's a big concession, not great or excellent or superb or outstanding or the best, no. <laughs> this year realistically what can we do to make it better whether it's in your personal life your professional life uh, I think that should be your goal is to do something and this is one way so how can you make it better how can you make those emergency visits urgent care visits annual visits better for your clients pet parents patients I'd love to hear you and Becky how can they tell us how they're going to make 2023 better well you guys can find us the same place you did last year we are on (laughs) Facebook and Instagram at veterinary viewfinder and you can shoot us an email at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. That's right. We'd love to hear your ideas and your experiences. Guys, until next week, we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.